and welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio, a bi-weekly podcast devoted to examining successful marketing strategies, driving new business development at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. In every episode, you'll find actionable takeaways that you can implement immediately. The podcast is a production of Picture More Business, a corporate photography studio with a core focus on the legal industry. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of the Legal Marketing Studio. In this episode, I'm joined by Matt Steinberg. Matt is a partner at Ackerman's New York City office and a deputy chair of the National Labor and Employment Group there. His practice is focused on all aspects of employment law, with an emphasis on litigation and advising clients on day-to-day issues. Most importantly, at least for this discussion, he is the creator and host of Worked Up, an Ackerman employment law podcast. Matt, welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio. Thank you for having me. And thank you for hosting us today. Happy to have you here. It's nice to be on the other end of the microphone. So let's just start with a brief description of, of what your practice is. You know, what kind of matters do you handle for what kind of clients? We represent employers and uh, we represent them in all aspects of their employment law, HR related responsibilities. So our clients range various sizes and shapes, work with a lot of companies in technology, in retail, financial services, aviation, really runs the gamut. Each has their own unique culture, challenge, and what makes the job of being their lawyer so fulfilling. Uh, We work a lot on litigation matters, and so you tend to see a lot of litigation-type stuff in the media, but a lot of what we do as employment lawyers is the day-to-day stuff. So clients call me all day, ask, what should we do about this? What type of policy should we implement about that to make sure that they are both getting in front of whatever legal risk there might be, and also making sure they're doing right by uh, their employees. And then there probably isn't a a single typical way that this happens, but how do your clients tend to find you, or how have they found you in the past? Well, I think in our business, it's really a lot about relationship building. Uh, It may not sound intuitive that you need to have a good relationship with your lawyer, but I think you do. And I think a lot of what I try to do is make sure that I'm out there talking to people, meeting people, uh, letting them know how excited I am about what I do. I think if you ask most lawyers that they like their job, you know, they may lie to you and say they do, but a lot may not. And I think, I hope people see when they talk to me that I really do love what I do. And I think employment law is a fascinating field. And so I don't believe in being, and I hope nobody thinks I I am uh, salesy or anything like that. I just try to get out, meet people talk about employment law, which is what I love to do anyway, and hope that it inspires confidence in people to look to use me as a, as a lawyer. And, and when you say getting out there, do you mean uh, speaking? Do you mean networking? Do you mean uh, being present at industry events? Like, what, what does that mean, getting out there? I try to be out there meeting people on a more personal, one-on-one basis or in small group settings. I do speak when asked to. I think it's a good exercise. I personally haven't found that to be as effective as a tool for marketing. I when I when I do speak, I enjoy it, but I think the better way to meet and connect with people on a real in a real impactful way is in smaller groups. We're going to talk about the podcast today, but one of the things I like about it is it does give you an ability to reach a broad audience in a time-limited way. So Short answer is I think if you want to be an effective marketer, you have to, and I tell my associates this all the time, you have to find the approach and style that works for you. And so for some people, that might mean writing a lot of articles, writing a lot of blogs. For some people, it might mean speaking at a lot of panels. I kind of like doing the podcast, but I think the most important 
part is to make sure you put yourself out there so that people get to know you in a real meaningful way. Great. Well, you mentioned the podcast a couple of times. And so let, let's I get to resist. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's why we're here. No, let's, let's get to that. Tell me about the Ackerman worked up. What's, uh, what's it about? And when did you start it? Well, we launched January 1 of this year, but it's something that I've been thinking about and we have, as a firm were thinking about for a few months beforehand. The goal of the podcast was really to create a platform on which a real diverse set of employment law practitioners can talk about issues. A lot of what I do, and we talked a little bit about the day-to-day counseling and advice that I give, I have conversations kind of every day with clients about interesting issues. The thought behind the podcast was that if we can somehow record those, obviously not about specific matters, but record the kind of conversations we have, I thought that that would be a really interesting platform to create. So we started thinking about how to do it. Um, you probably know better than, than I do. Law firms have been a little slow to innovate. And I've always applauded Ackerman for being willing to take chances and put time and resources behind new types of initiatives. And so, you know, I had to push a little bit, but to, to Ackerman's credit, they, they got behind the idea and figured out that this would be a way to kind of get to clients where they are. I mean, I personally love podcasts. I commute into the city every day from Westchester. And so I listen to podcasts on the way in. I listen to podcasts on the way out. And I think the kind of long form conversation platform allows for different perspectives and nuances on an issue in a way that an article may not. And that's not to say articles aren't very effective, but I think a podcast allows you to see different perspectives on an issue in a nuanced way. It's almost like you're sitting at a table and listening to other people talk about something that you're interested in. It's kind of like geeking out about this issue in a way that you can reach a a broad audience. So when we decided we're going to move forward with this, I certainly told my my firm that I'm going to take control over it and put the work in, uh, make sure I contact and find guests. And I write all the content. I write all the questions. They provide invaluable you know, marketing support and tech support. Like I said, you have a great setup here. We have a great IT team that I'm fortunate to have that edits it all together. And so once we got the logistics in play, then it was a question of starting to create content. And when we first launched that, we launched with four or five episodes so that we can put a bunch out at once. And the main goal I have in terms of content is to make sure that there's diversity of thought, right? I think if I paraded out a bunch of Ackerman lawyers to just talk about who we are and what we do, it wouldn't be nearly as effective as having different stakeholders, right? So we've had, in my view, prominent plaintiff's lawyers represent employees. Uh, We've had uh, non-legal professionals like from technology companies to give their perspective. Uh, We've had representatives from the EEOC, uh, most recently the chair, Victoria Lipnick, which was a great guest for us. Uh, We've had attorneys from the New York Attorney General's office. We've had Ackerman lawyers. I've had clients. And so I think the real goal of the platform from my perspective is to create diversity of thought and look at issues from different perspectives. You answered uh, my next question in that, uh, in that little section. So let's go to the next session, section because you did start talking a little bit about strategic goals, but didn't really kind of get to the, the planning and what you were thinking and hoping to achieve with the podcast. So I'm curious, as you were planning it, you know, as you were first talking about it last year before you launched it, what were some of the discussions around what you wanted to get from it if there are uh, either tangible or, or perhaps intangible 
outcomes that you want from it? I think the goals were far more intangible than tangible. I mean, if, you, if you've listened to any of the episodes or any of your listeners have listened to the episodes, I certainly don't do any direct selling on the podcast at all. I think that would undermine the entire utility of the process, right? So it's not the kind of thing where I go out there and I say, look at me, I'm a great lawyer, you should hire me. It's the opposite. To me, what I would view success um, for the podcast would be creating a platform where people, A, would come to me and they'd like to appear as guests. B, may may hear an episode and say, hey, that was really interesting. Did you think about this? Or I heard your podcast and I was thinking about what impact Obamacare might have on this to get kind of like a conversation going. So I I viewed that as my primary goal is kind of creating this platform where, and I joked around before, where people can kind of geek out and talk about employment law in a way that different perspectives are shared in one forum, right? So it you may see an EEOC press release about an issue. You may see a bunch of uh, defense firms put out their own articles on an issue. You may see uh, plaintiff's firms put out their own type of announcement about an issue. So I wanted to pull all that together so we can kind of talk about an issue in long form, real time. And so to me, the the success is to create real meaningful, impactful discussions that if people listen, you know, including clients, potential clients, if they listen, they can get a deeper understanding of the issue. And I, I suppose they can see how I may tackle an issue, but I view success as, as, as becoming a platform for, you know, thoughtful employment law practitioners to debate, discuss issues. You know, when you were first talking about how you bring people in, one of the things that you talked about was building those relationships. Is there an aspect of it where you're building relationships with your guests? I mean, is that a a specific goal of it? Is like, do you reach out to people like, I would like to have a connection to this person. I'm going to see if I can meet them through this avenue. Is that kind of very tactical use of it? Yeah, no, I don't. To to be honest, I'm not tactical in that sense, where I view this as if I get someone on my podcast, they'll become a client. But I will say one thing that I probably didn't appreciate when we were planning it as much as I do after we launched it is how much the guests have enjoyed being asked to participate and then sharing their own episodes on their own social networks. And we can talk about that separately, but I think the experience of being on the podcast, and this is true, not just for clients, this is true for, I mean, I I try to maintain very good relationships with adversaries and with the EEOC because I think, Life's more fun if you kind of get along with the people you work with every day. But I think those who have appeared certainly enhanced my relationship with them, you know, w- without a doubt. So I think I've really enjoyed preparing for the podcast and recording and launching the podcast. But I think the guests have really enjoyed being on it in a way that I didn't fully appreciate. I mean, I, I, I have a good relationship, like I said, with a lot of people. And I, I think people would have been, at least at the outset, willing to go on the podcast almost as a favor to me to help get this launched. But it's really gone beyond that. You know, they've liked it. They're excited about it. You share it. It's good for your own profile. And so absolutely, I think it's helped create relationships, but not necessarily just with clients, just but with everyone who's who's been involved. I mean, you also, in a sense, put yourself at the center of that conversation that you're building, which is, you know, is that aspect of becoming a a point of influence, I guess, for for that's the first word that comes to mind. Is that 
Is that was that a, an aspect or a part of the process or one of the goals that you had, or was that sort of a nice byproduct? Well, if it's true, it's a nice byproduct. <laughs> I don't I don't pretend for a minute I'm center of anyone's influence, but I do like to connect people in general, and to the extent I've been able to help my clients, for example, get a better sense of how a plaintiff's lawyer might look at a case. Or if I can help, let's say, someone at the EEOC who might be listening to it, get the perspective of an employer, um, I think that's fantastic. Um, that's certainly one thing uh, I'd like to do. As to whether I want me, Matt Steinberg, to become a center of influence, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't view it that way. I think the content will kind of speak for itself. There's also a nice aspect of mentorship that I've taken from the podcast. So for each episode, and I guess I lied a little bit when I said I do all the work, I definitely get help from my great team of like associates and other lawyers. And so it also creates a different way to mentor associates on an issue. So it's one thing to say, we have this case for this client, we have to write this brief. It's another thing to say, all right, well, we're going to do a podcast on the gig economy, which is one of our recent episodes, which is kind of a hot topic. And so I'm going to work with you, Michael, to prepare it. Let's try to really understand this issue in a nuanced way so that we can create a podcast that will resonate not just with our clients, but will resonate with the community in general and, and including you know non-legal professionals. You know, my parents are probably <laughs> the ones who listen to more than anything. So I do try to make sure that the content is relatable to a big group. And I think in working with associates to research and develop topics, it also helps them think through issues in, in more nuanced ways. And so I think that's been a nice byproduct of the preparation and launch of different episodes. It's funny, that's something that as a solo practitioner, it's not something that I would have thought of because I kind of pull everything together, but it makes a lot of sense that there's like that internal benefit in the preparation for it also. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's why it's fun to do these. You get to learn things that you, you know, and you're like, oh, I, my perspective wouldn't have brought me there. Yeah. But your perspective yeah. does. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I do with every, I don't know how deeply you want me to get into the process, but what I do for every episode is we think of what topic we want to cover. I think of what guests might want to appear. And I've been fortunate that a lot of, you know, great folks have been willing to appear and volunteer to appear. Because as I said, I think it's kind of starting to resonate and people, people are into the idea. And then we do a little research and then we have like a brainstorm call with a guest. I try to do it the day before the episode. So it's fresh and going into that brainstorm call, I may have a very general idea of the direction I want the episode to take, but oftentimes my guests will give new, completely different perspectives that I may have not thought of. And so to the mentorship point, I think that's great for you know our associates to kind of hear. And in terms of the final product, it helps the discussion evolve in a way that might not have been what I envisioned it. So, you know, we do the brainstorm call and that also is a way to help build relationships in meaningful ways. So the process itself, I think is also pretty exciting. I agree with that. You know, one, one other thing you mentioned was building these conversations and creating a forum for this. I'm curious where you put the podcast and if, if there's any ways for commenting or additional discussion around the podcasts or if that's or if that's not quite there yet. I know a lot of the platforms don't have robust commenting available. Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. It's something that that I think a lot about. Podcast analytics are not all that sophisticated as yet. So you can get a general sense of how many people view it, how many people subscribe, but you really you certainly don't know who they are. 
And you don't know, for example, whether someone turned it on and didn't listen to it or like one of my kids accidentally hit play and there you don't really know. And I think that's something that's going to have to evolve. And I've obviously I'm focused on this and I've read a lot about it. But when you start thinking about sponsors of podcasts, one of the reasons why and we don't have any sponsors. <laughs> I don't know if you do, but I don't know a lot of the a lot of the podcasts that listen to have sponsors. And I think a lot of marketers like brands, for example, like a Coca-Cola, I'm just using that as an example, they haven't started marketing as much and sponsoring podcasts as much because there isn't that backend analytics, but some of the more entrepreneurial companies do. And I think the podcast analytic world will evolve. But right now, what we do is we launch it on SoundCloud, which is a podcast platform. That's where I found you because that's where I am also. Yeah. Oh, great. And they're like, oh, you, you have the word legal. You might like this other thing that has the word legal. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 You, can, you know, you can search it on, on, on iTunes. I know you can get it anywhere else you get your podcast, but largely what I tell people, because everyone has a little purple button on their phone. And so when we started announcing the podcast, we said it's available on iTunes. You tell people how to search. I think more and more people know about podcasts now. And I think it is a, a, a wave in terms of content generation, not just legally, but in general. Once an episode is launched, then we announce it through our firm's social media, through my own social media. I'll sometimes, the, the guest will launch it through their own platform, their own social LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever it is. And then once it's out there, then subscribers will get an automatic notification that a new worked up episode has been launched. And then you can hit that and you can play that. In terms of feedback, we struggle with this, right? Because I don't want to make it too shilly and say, all right, well, let me know how I'm doing or rate me. But we, we are now asking viewers to provide rankings on iTunes. But I think it's probably not as effective as when I speak to people and say, hey, what did, you, what did you think? Or did you like this episode? Or what other episodes do you think we might want to do? I, I try to get that more organic feedback. But feedback is something that you know, lawyers struggle with, brands struggle with, how to get that feedback from uh, your consumer, whoever that is. But I think for purposes of the podcast, we're certainly going to try to make more of an effort to get iTunes type ratings, rankings, not for purposes of winning anything, but just for purposes of maybe getting a better understanding of what our viewers like and don't like. But I do think it's incumbent upon us, me, to talk to people and say, well, what might we cover or what issue is meaningful to you as a means of getting that real feedback? Yeah, it's interesting. I find that I'm I'm almost less interested in what those audience numbers are than in how can I use this in building those one-to-one relationships. You know, you have a conversation with someone, with someone and, and they say, oh, we're dealing with, with whatever problem we're dealing with. And I can say, oh, you know what? I was just talking to someone. Maybe you'll find that perspective interesting. Here's a link to this podcast. Absolutely. And I find that very, those are the kind of ways that I use it to build conversations, but I'm very similar. Like, you know, like I, I don't try and build conversations and comment threads and all of that. Because it's just, it's A, it's one more thing to take up time. And I feel like those one-to-one conversations are more effective. Yeah. And you I, know I who they so are. Too. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, exactly. So can we just, let's just step back for a minute. I'm curious when you were starting the podcast, who was involved in the conversation and who sort of came up with the idea? 
was it something that you wanted to do and went to this firm for support or was it something that was kind of being talked about and you said, I'll take ownership of this? Well, I'm being perfectly honest and not at all humble. <laughs> it was it was my idea. Um, I, over the past couple of years, started getting into podcasts on a personal level and at the same time was very involved in firm initiatives around innovation, marketing, client relationships, and thought to myself, there's got to be not a new way to market, but just a different way to get to certain clients in a way that is more meaningful to them, right? So some clients may like seminars. Some clients may like alerts. My intuition, and I guess it's still playing out, but there are a lot of clients, particularly as new decision makers are coming up through the ranks, that are getting their content generally through podcasts. So why shouldn't they be getting their legal content through podcasts? That's how the thought process kind of evolved. And there's this feeling that somehow lawyers aren't able to do new, innovative, different things. And I don't think that's right. I think that there are a lot of people in the industry who are as innovative as other industries that just need to kind of push a little bit more to make it happen. And so I determined probably to the chagrin of some of the marketing team early on that I was going to really fight to try to make this happen. And I raised it with you know members of firm management and marketing team. And, and I'm not just saying this, if they're listening, they were really incredibly supportive from day one about the idea. And I think all of us, myself included, I listened to podcasts, but I had no idea how to create one. And so then we went about the mission of, okay, how do we make this happen? And first thing we had to work through is the technical aspect of it. Like, how do you record it? And we figured out that through our firm's conference call dial-in feature, you can record a telephone conversation, and then you can take that recording put it into some program, which I don't pretend to know, edit it, and then launch it as a podcast. And it was that easy. So we thought to ourselves, all right, well, the quality must not be great. So we did it, tested it, and lo and behold, it sounded really good. So we got over that first hurdle of, okay, technically we can do this. Second hurdle was, all right, are people going to want to even participate? No one wants to hear me talk for 45 minutes to an hour. So I started reaching out to some kind of closer clients, closer adversaries that I know and said, Hey, you know, what do you think of this idea? Would you be willing? And again, people seemed really interested and said, yeah, it's a great idea. I listened to podcasts. I listened to, I think the first big podcast was Serial, which was a little bit different, but people like, yeah, it's a great idea. You should give it a shot. So at that point, we kind of had the technical aspects of it down. And I had an idea that we'd be able to get content together. And then it was just a question of making it happen and doing it. Um, so the, well, I should, let me take a step back. And then the question is how we could, how do we market it? How do we get, get it out there? And so we figured out that a lot of podcasts get marketed through social media. Uh, Ackerman has a very strong social media presence so that we can very easily put episodes out on LinkedIn, on um, Twitter. And so the marketing team, again, to their great credit was like, we can take this content and it may look and sound different than what we've been doing, but Again, it's a way to get to clients where they are and be it something that we can market the same way we market our existing products. So, so why not, you know, give it a shot? And so I, uh, and I think we talked about this earlier, 
took ownership over the content. I said, I'll find the guests because, and this is true, I'm sure not just for law firms, but organizations in general, there are limited resources, right? Like you can't do everything. I probably ask for way too much and I get, you know, what I can get. And so that may stymie innovation sometimes, again, not just at law firms, but just in general. And so I think it was it's incumbent upon somebody in this situation, me, for purpose of the podcast, to really own it and say, I don't need anyone to find me guests. I don't need anyone to write me questions. I'll do all of that. All I need you to do is help me with the technology. And we have a fantastic IT team that figured it out and help me market it, help me push it out, help me get it to as many years as I can. And so it's been a really fantastic team effort amongst all these different constituencies. And I think as we, I think we're at 16 episodes now, 15 or 16, I think with each episode, the system works a little bit better. And now we're kind of like a well-oiled machine where it's the lawyers, IT folks, and marketing folks working together, which is great in and of itself. And we've been able to launch it in, I think, a fairly efficient way. I want to come back to part of that answer when we talk about some of the challenges in doing this, because I think that production aspect and the amount of back-end work is something that a lot of people go, oh, I'll do a podcast, it'll take an hour. No, it takes a lot more time. (laughs) Not at all. But before we get to that, something else that I find interesting is like an initiative like this really does take one person really to push it forward, but it also works best when there's one person who's sort of the focal point of it in terms of promotion. And I know you're the host of it. It's kind of your idea, but it is Ackerman Worked Up. It is a firm podcast. Um, I'm curious how that balance is between you promoting your practice, but also promoting sort of the larger firm, which I suppose is sort of a complex question for a short answer. But I I guess generally, does Ackerman see this as like the first of multiple podcasts? Because I know they are, I mean, you guys are innovative. I mean, you guys tend to do things that are a little bit, I would say left of center, but I don't know if that's the right, that's the right word. You know, are they going to expand this or is this going to be kind of your thing with kind of a, the Ackerman gloss on top? Very, very good question. The short answer is, I don't know if we're planning to expand it. And I think if my IT team is listening to this right now, they're probably hiding under their desk at the, at the thought, but in even preparing for this podcast with you today and thinking about like what would make the podcast a success to me, one great thing that can happen is if other people join the platform and create their own podcast, right? So I think the medium works, I guess, to some degree, I'm a bit of a guinea pig. And it's not the kind of thing that you point to a specific piece of business that stems from it. And so that's where I think Ackerman is really thoughtful around big picture, innovative strategies, as opposed to kind of short-term quick hits. And so I, I do think that the platform lends itself very well to employment law because employment law is a pretty interesting topic. But I think it also, with the right content, right host, the right guests, really can work for anything. I mean, I'm one of my favorite podcasts is Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. I don't know if you've listened to it, uh, Revisionist History. And he tackles very interesting philosophical questions, but he does it in a very, in my view, relatable, understandable way. And so I think loss may seem a little intimidating sometimes, but I think if you can narrate it the right way, the platform can certainly work. And I'm not volunteering (laughs) any of my firm resources yet, but I would love to see other Ackerman podcast. I would love to see other 
law firm podcast because I I do think the profession in general can benefit from newer, innovative type thinking. And again, that's not to take any shots at what already exists, but I do think as the profession evolves and as the executive general counsel, human resources ranks evolve, you have to kind of evolve with it. And so I do think that, I, I hope that it inspires others to do similar podcasts. In terms of the Ackerman brand versus my practice, I mean, this may sound like a canned answer, but I do view it as one and the same. I do hope that people will view Ackerman as an innovative law firm. I hope people view me as a, an innovative lawyer. So in that sense, we kind of align. But one thing I've really appreciated is nobody at Ackerman ever has asked me to go on this podcast and start pitching practices or pitching specific things that we do. It's like, no, go out there. You know, We support you, Matt. Record your podcast. I'm sure people think and hope that it will elevate our firm's brand and in particular show that we're doing things in a, in a new, innovative way. But it's never intended to specifically pitch my practice or pitch our brand. Other than that, we're here. We like to view ourselves as helpful partners with our clients. And to the extent you can glean that out of that, our podcast, great. But certainly if I have my way, and I know that the firm agrees, it's not going to be something that we're going to ever use as a real sales type platform. One of the episodes previous to this, I was talking to a content marketer and he was saying, you know, the content has to have value and you have to present something of value. You can't be pitching because then you're just a, a long form ad and that doesn't that doesn't get through. No one will listen. Right. Have, have any other partners at the firm like been taking an interest? Like, has this sparked more interest? You know, whether or not the firm itself says on a firm level, we want to do more of these. Have other attorneys gone, oh, this is interesting. Tell absolutely. me about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, one thing I've been able to do through the podcast is I've been able to tap into, a, you know, the bench strength that we have as a firm. And so, for example, if we have uh, an issue related to uh, healthcare, I brought in one of my healthcare partners who's an expert at it to talk about it. And I think she in particular really enjoyed the experience. So I think that partners have been extremely interested and supportive. Some partners already know about podcasts, listen to podcasts. You know, it's funny, I'm here in New York. And so, like I said, earlier when we, we met, I commute in and out every day. And so it's it lends itself pretty well to a urban commuter. But you know, I've spoken to partners who live elsewhere and they listen to podcasts in their car on their way to and from work. And so I think partners around the country have been really interested in it, particularly those who didn't really know anything about podcasts. They give me, you know, very valuable feedback. Some say, well, this one was too long. Some say, uh, you know, th this particular issue might not resonate with me based on my practice. And all the feedback is helpful. I think one thing that's also nice about podcasts is if you're a subscriber and one of the episodes you don't have an interest in, just don't listen to it. I tell people that all the time. It's fine. If there's something that you don't enjoy, don't give up on the podcast, just skip it and listen to the next one. There's been kind of whispers about other people, like maybe I should try to do that podcast. I don't know how far along those have gone. And without committing a firm resource, I, I'd love to see it, but it's probably a little too soon to, to tell. And that's actually 
those two words, resources and commitment, let's use that as a way to segue to some of the logistical aspects of it. And I don't want to get too bogged down in this because it's not the most important part of the conversation, probably. I think the strategies and the the use of it is more interesting. But I think a lot of people will hear this and they'll go, well, how do, how do you do it? No, I think the process is important because I think your listeners should know two things. It's definitely not easy and it takes time, but it's doable, right? And things that aren't easy sometimes are the best because if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? So I think if I if I take a step back and, and give thought to my process, the first part, if you want to be, I think, successful at this or any other type of thought leadership type platform is you have to read a lot, right? Like I read a lot and I try not to read just on Twitter. I try to read articles and I have on my phone, like most people, like a little notepad function. And whenever there's an idea, I write it down. Some ideas are for podcasts that have to be recorded immediately, right? If there's a, an update, for example, I remember when we did a podcast on the uh, Obamacare, we didn't know when to record it because every day it kept changing. And finally, they passed the House bill and we recorded it the next day. We had to be ready and we did it. Others, I think, are just interesting issues. So for example, the gig economy, the gig economy is not going anywhere, but there are all types of issues around that that I thought would be of interest to our listeners. So I'll put that down. The goal is to record at least two a month. I'm still balancing it with my everyday practice, my commitments to family. Part of the challenge is finding the time, but I think you have to be very well read on ideas. So once you have an idea and you decide you want to do it, um, I work backwards. I schedule a day to record it. And then I schedule the brainstorm that we talked about the day before. And I try to give myself at least a few days and whoever I'm working with to do a lot of research on the topic, right? And so we also have a great, I haven't mentioned like an information services team. I, I, I can email and say, I'm going to be doing a podcast interview with Michael Meyer. Get me some information about Michael Meyer. And they'll give me an initial intelligence briefing. I'll do my own research. Generally, an associate will help with their own research. And then we come up with, and that takes hours, right? That's, it's a process. But from there, we come up with a very general topical outline of what we want the podcast to be. I always like to hear a little bit about my guests and get a sense of who they are, where they came from, and how they got to be wherever they are. Because I think it's one of the other aspects of the podcast I like is I think it kind of humanizes all of us a little bit. Like we all, let's say for adversaries, I may do battle with an adversary, but, and I may organically find out some stuff about him or her, but I think it's nice to hear why someone went into employment law, why you chose to work for the government, why you chose to go in-house. So I get background. And then during the brainstorm call, I, I take the guests through what I think are the interesting issues. And we talked earlier, sometimes that changes. And then that night, I'll send them a little outline, but I don't script out questions because I think it's better for it to be organic. But preparing that outline, which I do on my own, because I think it's more important for me to draft that outline so that I'm learning as I go. And then we record it hopefully the following day. We usually do it by phone. We've done some in person like like you and I are doing here today. And then you get raw content, right? It then goes to our IT team. And sometimes, and this is an open question. I don't know if you have an opinion on as to how long a podcast should be. I don't mind them being a little longer because I think long firm allows the type of analysis that makes it impactful, but sometimes it may be too long. So we try to struggle with what the right length is. And on the back end, the IT team will edit it. And so I'll listen to it on my own and I'll say, take out 
20 minutes and eight seconds through 28 minutes. And then you splice it together till you get the final product. If you can imagine listening to an hour long podcast and stopping and starting and stopping and starting to let, to get through an hour long podcast and provide editing instructions is another few hours. So each episode in terms of prepping, researching, drafting, recording, editing is a process and you have to be committed to that process, not just for purposes of putting out a good product, but not letting it be a detriment to any other aspect of your life, right? So I I would never tell a client, for example, I can't work on your matter because I have to record this podcast or I'm not going to miss like a kid's graduation because I have to record this podcast. So it's a question of like finding the time to do it. But if you're committed to it, and I think a key is I really love it, you find the time. And then once it's launched, one of my secrets is once it, once it's launched, I never, I don't listen to it anymore. Once that episode is out there, I just, it's out there and I, and I speak to people about it. And then I try to do the next one within a uh, you know, week or two. So that's kind of the process. So it, it, it's uh, hopefully I've imparted that it's real work, but it's all of it's doable if you're interested. I mean, I think the most of the challenges you laid out there are the challenges that I or anyone else face. And I feel like they're the challenges that are, if you think about it for just a second before you start doing it, they're the expected challenges, like how much time it takes and how you balance it with everything else. Were there any unexpected challenges, anything that that's been harder than you thought it would be? It's a good question. Um, one challenge that I think you, you you have as a as a let's say as a law firm or as a non media organization is that we're still in the business of practicing law, right? We're not a media company, and so I, I don't even want to get into it too much on this podcast. But there has been a coarsening of the political dialogue, let's say, right? And the last thing I want the podcast to become is a venue for which people can vent their own personal kind of political beliefs. I, I view this more as an educational, thoughtful discussion around legal concepts that's going to be relatable to a wide swath of, of people. But I recognize that sometimes politics can become intertwined with that. And I, and I try really hard to stay away from any conversation around that, which might've been a little easier a few years ago <laughs> than it is now. But I think we've kind of worked through that. And if you listen to any of our episodes, you can see how we try to balance that. So I I wouldn't say it's been a challenge so much as a aspect of the recording process that I didn't really give much thought to until we actually started getting into the issues. But beyond that, it's really just a function of finding the time, the resources. I I imagine the biggest hurdle would be the IT piece. And so I have to concede I'm very lucky. I have a great IT team that does it for me. But beyond that, it's just a function of finding topics. Surprisingly, getting guests have been easier than I thought. I think that's a credit to the content that we're putting out there. But that too is a challenge. You're working on someone else's time. And we had this podcast scheduled for earlier this week. I canceled on you because I had train problems. The same thing has happened to me. And so sometimes you can't always fit it in as neatly to your existing schedule as you'd like. But again, I keep coming back to the fact that if I really, if you're really passionate about it and you're excited about it, A, the content will be great and B, you'll find the time. So, you know, I've listened to several of your episodes and you do a great job hosting. Thank you. I'm curious, did you, uh, how did, did you train, do any training for that or do you have media training or, I mean, I didn't listen to any of the the first couple. I don't know if, if 
you've changed how you approach the hosting, but w- was the actual hosting a challenge? Because I mean, interviewing is definitely a different, a different kind of thing than y- your day to day. Flattery will get you everywhere. I'm like, <laughs> good. Um, honestly, no, I haven't had any, I haven't had any media training, but like I said, the substance of the podcast are pretty similar to the conversations I have with clients every day. So I view it as if you kind of record some of my conversations and you scrubbed, you know, client names out of it, they probably wouldn't be all that different to the to the substance of the podcast. Same is true when I have principled conversations with adversaries. Some devolve into just, you know, dollars and cents, but the more thoughtful conversations around, all right, well, this is why I believe my client's position is persuasive. And an adversary will tell me, well, no, no, I refute that. And this is why my position is persuasive and we'll have like a dialogue. And so that dialogue is kind of not all that different than a podcast. But I think one of the things I like a lot about podcasts in general, and I try to emulate for mine is And I told this to my marketing team also, like they don't have to be perfect. And so to some degree that takes some of the pressure off. Like I don't ever write questions. I don't ever write answers. Sometimes I'll make a mistake and something I'll say, um, too much. I mean, my kids say, I say, um, too much. And I'm trying to work on that, but it's a work in process. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what makes podcasts relatable to the audience because it's not this perfectly scripted prepackaged soundbite. It's like a human conversation. So I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know if a lot of some podcast hosts, I guess, have other media outlets and have training. I, I don't know. I've never, I've never have, I guess I just like to geek out and talk. And so it, it, it worked. I appreciate you saying that, but I guess at least to some people it's translated well. Yeah. I mean, I find part of it also is it doesn't matter how I sound. I just put a smart person on the other microphone <laughs> and I let them run. I mean, that's yeah. sort of. I don't have to be the expert. Like as long as you've got someone smart on the other side and that conversation happens. And one thing I guess I do try actively to do with every podcast is take a step back and make sure that I have explained the underlying legal issue in a kind of basic, straightforward way. Because there are some episodes which really get in the weeds and they're all about specific legal doctrines and as we were discussing, that may not be of great interest to certain other professionals, right? That aren't lawyers. But what I hope, and I really work at every episode, is that everyone can listen to it. And so it's not going to be too dumbed down for a high level executive, and it's not going to be too in the weeds for let's say an HR generalist. And so when we talked about challenges, I guess that's another that's another thing that's come up is that sometimes if I feel like a guest has gone down a rabbit hole of kind of wonky stuff, which I may be really into, I think that's fine. I don't ever, I shouldn't say ever, I try not to edit that out, but I'll take a step back and say, all right, well, what you're referring to is the case of Jane versus John. And that case stands for the proposition, and I'll try to put it in a way that can better contextualize it for the entire audience, and then delve back into the legal issue. Because I don't think it's a podcast just for lawyers. I, I, at least I don't want it to be a podcast just for lawyers. I want it to be a podcast that anybody who's interested in human resources or employment law or law generally can listen to it, learn from it, and enjoy it. 
And so creating content that can resonate with that broad audience is tricky, but that's something I'm laser focused on is making sure that it can be relatable to a lot of different people. So the last part of the process or the last two parts of the process we touched on earlier, um, you guys promote it through social media. I assume that's LinkedIn and Twitter and the website blogs. I, there's a link on the blog. Yep. Yep. We do. We, we promote it on link. The, the, the firm puts it on its social media feeds and, you know, they have a great team that, that does that. I bombard them with questions about where do I put the logo and how does it look? And they tell me, Matt, we got it. And they do it. It always looks great. And we've included a link to the podcast on at least our department's email signature block. So every time, and we thought about that, is this, is that too much? And I think it's, it's under our signature block. And if someone sees podcast and they like podcasts, maybe they'll click on it. But other than that, we've been, we push it out through social. Um, and we talked about measuring success and you're, you, you keep the metrics fairly soft in terms of, you're not looking to grow listenership to hit certain numbers. I, or, or are you maybe? Yeah, no, not yet. Not yet. At this point, we're still trying to put out a really good product. I view success as people commenting to me that they enjoy it, guests continuing to come on. I think we've had really high quality guests. So I think our most recent guest was the chair of the entire EEOC. And so to me, a sign of success is that she or her office listened to other episodes and said, yeah, this is a good product. I'm going to appear on this. So that's, for now, how I'm viewing success. I mean, we talked about podcast analytics aren't great anyway. I think as long as we stick to it, and which we're going to do, we're not going to give up on it. Sometimes it's it's a real long game horizon perspective. We're going to keep pumping out episodes, putting out content. And I think success will take the form of, you know, really good content. And who knows, maybe other podcasts will enter the game. I, I, I would view a success if, and this may sound kind of counterintuitive, but if other people do the same thing and join in this conversation, I'd view that as a success also. But in terms of direct goals and readerships and numbers, I'm, I'm less concerned, I guess for better or for worse, about that just yet as so much as putting on a good product that people really will enjoy. Have you tied it to any numbers, uh, like more business oriented numbers or, or no, element? no, no, no. I don't even know how we, how we could. I don't think anyone's going to call me and say, Hey, I heard your podcast. I want to hire you as a lawyer. That's, that's not, that's not the goal. The goal is to put out good product. And I think chips will fall where they may. So I just want to close. I always close with a piece of advice or forward looking ideas. So if another attorney, whether here in the firm or at another, another firm, you know, if someone were to ask you, what's your one piece of advice that someone should go into this with? What would that one piece of advice be? I think if you're interested in this platform, I think what you start doing is start thinking about topics. What is of interest to me? What would be an interesting conversation? And kind of keep a record in your head if there's enough content, enough ideas out there that will support a sustainable initiative, right? Because I don't think you want to do one or two podcasts and then stop. I guess cut your losses where you have to, but I think ideally, if you go into this, you want it to be sustainable. And as you're thinking about it, if you come up with a bunch of different topics that you think will work or a bunch of different perspectives that you think you can share, like I, I think any issue that lends itself to a podcast is going to have different perspectives to it and not 
going to be like a lecture or a recitation. And if you think there's enough content out there, and I advocate as I still today, just keep little notes, like podcast on this. I, I read an article and I write a note, like this would be a cool podcast to do. And maybe I'll talk to Michael about it. Everything, there's enough content out there, you know, go to your organization, go to your firm. It's, it's easier than you think to do technically. The content is the hard part. But if it's something that you think you'll enjoy, the time will fly, right? You'll find time to do it. And you just have to look at it as an investment in your time that isn't designed to translate into immediate dollars, right? It's designed, for me, it's incredibly fulfilling. Like I enjoy it. It's one of the, it's a new aspect of my job that I really like. And if you look at it that way and not like, well, what is it going to mean for like my month or my quarter? I think it can work for the right type of person, right type of issue, right type of practice. Matt, that was fantastic. Thank you for joining yeah, me in this. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. I haven't been on the other end of the microphone, so thank it's you very fun, much. It's right? Uh, very much. Very much. <laughs> I didn't have to do much prep. I just showed up. <laughs> well, thank you also to our, our listeners who's joined us for this episode. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. The Legal Marketing Studio can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And wherever you find us, please like the episode or leave a review. Extended content, including photographs and links, can be found on our website, legalmarketing.studio. Note that there's no .com there. It is just legalmarketing.studio. And I'll make sure that we have a link to Ackerman Worked Up. I was about to say, despite everything I just said, I'll plug my own podcast on, on, on your podcast, which is Worked Up, and search for it on iTunes, SoundCloud, anywhere else you get your, your podcast. But yeah, Michael, I'd appreciate it if you put our link out there. We will definitely That'd put be it great. There. Super. And if you have a, a topic you'd like to discuss on the show, please reach out via the contact page on our website. Uh, we'd love to explore topics that we haven't perhaps thought of yet. The Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business, a full-service corporate photography studio focused on the legal industry, based in Brooklyn, New York, and working with clients nationally. If your firm is updating its website, hiring new attorneys, or revamping its brand and marketing materials, please give us a call. We'd love to explore collaborative opportunities. More information can be found at picturemorebusiness.com. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks.